Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to the book of Luke, um, chapter 17, verse 20. But before that, I want to read to you by way of introduction, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And I memorized this once upon a time for Word of Life clubs back when I was growing up. Um, And I should be able to quote it to you today, but I want to make sure that I don't say it wrong. So I'm going to turn to it. I also should know the order of the books of the Bible. Um, But I may... I need to go back to my childhood and learn the song about the books of the Bible again. Uh, Let's see here. All right. Anyway, as um, I am going to that, I just, I think it's really neat how patient the Lord is with those around him because you're going to see a pretty familiar thing as we dig into our passage Uh, and that is the Pharisees are asking Jesus a question now it's always interesting to me and uh, I'm pretty sure to many of you to try to decipher whether the disciples or whether the Pharisees are sincere in the questions that they ask. But first, I want to read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, and I have found it, so here we go. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And the reason that I have chosen to read this passage before our text today is because as I was studying this passage, um, I came to the realization that the majority of scholars, at least the ones that I looked at, um, see this not as a depiction of the rapture of the church, and I know people have varying beliefs about that. I personally believe that as the song we sang this morning, Christ Returneth, puts it, he could come at any moment, and we need to be ready. And I think often about how great it would be to be able to go without dying. 
Um, because even though I don't fear the result of death, I still in some ways, on a human level, fear the process of death. I always tell people my preference for dying is to die at 100 years old in my sleep. Because um, I want to live a good long life of serving the Lord and preaching the gospel and then pass away peacefully in my sleep. I don't know what God has planned for me. He could have something very different. But that's that would be my preference. And I would venture to guess that most people don't want to die a long, drawn-out death. And so they would probably tend to agree with me. But So for the purposes of today's study, in Luke chapter 17, I am taking the view that this is a depiction of Christ's second coming. So before the millennium, but after the events of the tribulation. And I'm sure there are varying views on this, but for the purposes of today, that is the, that is the view that at least at this point I am persuaded to take. And so as we begin, but as we begin, I want to also say that regardless of what you believe um, fully about these verses, there are principles upon which we can all agree. And as we look at this first point, we see the Pharisees seeking a sign. And as I said, it's always interesting to me that the Pharisees were seeking a sign when there were tons of signs all around them. Uh, Jesus was standing in their midst, the very Son of God. And yet, if you look especially at the Gospel of John, their favorite thing to do was to say, Who are you? Then he would answer them. And they would get mad at him, try to run him away. And then a few verses later, they would say, who are you? He would tell them. They would get mad, try to get him to run away. And a few verses later, they would say, who are you? And he would say, this is who I am. And they would get mad at him and want to kill him. And eventually they did. Because God's divine plan allowed them to get the desire of their heart. So... This is not all that surprising that the Pharisees would start here in verse 20. So we'll read um, these first six verses of our text and we will go from there. Verse 20 of Luke chapter 17 says, And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, Neither shall they say, Lo here, or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And he said unto his disciples, The days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here, or see there. Go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part, under heaven, so also shall the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. So the Pharisees are saying, give us a sign. That's one of their favorite things to say is, is give us a sign. Like I said, to me the irony is that God gives them signs all the time and yet they 
do not believe them. It kind of reminds me of the rich man in Lazarus, where the rich man says, I have five brothers. Go and tell them about who you are so they don't meet my fate. And he says, well, they wouldn't believe him even if someone rose from the dead. And indeed, someone did rise from the dead, Jesus Christ. But in this passage, we, we see that Jesus is setting up the fact that he has begun his kingdom in the disciples. Um, and also, I think that he... <laughs> that he's also talking about, like right at this moment, that he is with them. You know, and he is ushering in the kingdom of God. And he's going to talk about some very specific things that will happen to usher in the end of days. Because there's going to be a lot of people that say, that here's Christ. Um, and, and even well-meaning people, I think sometimes that are, that are born-again Christians, will say things like, I know when Jesus is coming back. I know when the world is going to end. Um, there was a recent thing. I know it was kind of a uh, farce. But it said something about the end of days was going to come in the ninth inning of the seventh game of the World Series. Uh, incidentally, the World Series did go seven games and it did go over nine innings. I don't think that had anything to do with prophecy, however, because I'm still here. But the, the point being that people are always prognosticating what is going to happen to usher in the end of time. But the only authority upon which we can stand in this area is the Word of God. Anything that someone says needs to be tested against that Word of God. And the way the Pharisees have often postured themselves, you realize that nothing Jesus is going to say is going to convince them. Because even if they were to take intellectual assent to who he was, which I believe a lot of them did, because otherwise they wouldn't have paid off guards to say that the disciples stole the body. They didn't really believe the disciples stole the body. They just said, say that the disciples stole the body because we don't want to be humiliated when it's found out that he's not there anymore. And so they were on a mission to make sure that Jesus stayed dead even if he wasn't dead. Of course we know they failed. And so Jesus is saying, it's going to be obvious to you that when the end of days comes, you're going to know about it. As I read in the intro, we read about 1 Thessalonians 4. And we, we saw, I believe, um, of when the believers will be taken up from the earth and then God will cause great tribulation to come upon the earth. And again, people will say, well, why would a God of love cause this pestilence? But I think even in the pestilence of the tribulation, you will see God's mercy. One more opportunity for people to, to come to grips with um, the living God and make a decision to follow him. Now I know a great number of them will be filled with the delusion so that they will believe a lie, they will follow Antichrist, and they will be, be doomed to an eternity 
in hell. But I do think there is mercy even in tribulation. And one thing that we notice, we know about the Pharisees is Jesus is standing right there. He's already shown them so many things. Um, he's talked to them about how to come to God, how to embrace God's kingdom. And they have not yet done it. So what makes them believe or think that one more sign is going to be enough to convince them? As I said, um, many of them would go uh, and try to prevent stories of his resurrection from coming to fruition. Why? Because it took away from their power. Uh, when I think about this, I think about John chapter 1, verse 11. Um, and I'm, I'm going to turn there, not because I don't know it, but again because I want to make sure that I read it correctly and that you realize that it's right here in the scriptures. And I might even read a couple verses beyond it because it's so rich. Um, it says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Okay, so he's talking about two different groups of people. He's saying those who were supposed to be his own, the Jewish people, they rejected him as a race. But those that did not reject him, he gave the power to become the sons of God. Does that mean all Jews rejected him? No. The majority of the disciples were Jewish. And if not all of them, and uh, most of them accepted Jesus as Messiah, the exception being Judas. And so, as we move through this passage in Luke chapter 17, we see that Jesus is going to give a history lesson to prepare us for the future. And, and here's what he says in Luke chapter 17, verse 26. Luke 17, 26. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married, and were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they sold, they planted, they builded. But on the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus it shall be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away, and he that is in the field let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. And he, so he's painting this picture of the history. Remember, God came to Noah and he said, Noah? And Noah said, Here I am, Lord. And God said, Noah, I want you to build a boat. And they had never... It had never rained on the earth. And I don't know if it ever went through Noah's head. God, this seems crazy. There's nowhere to put a boat. 
I don't know how much land Noah owned, but obviously he couldn't hide this boat. This wasn't like a boat that you could stick in a garage. Everybody knew that he was working on it. So it wasn't something that he could um, keep secret. Neither did he, because as we're going to read from Second Peter, um, in a few moments, he was a preacher of righteousness through this whole time, basically extending the opportunity to get on the ark to anyone who would choose to do so. But imagine him building this ark, and it, it took, I believe, over a hundred years to build. He probably had his sons to help him, but other than that, um, and he might have hired other people that thought he was crazy but wanted money um, to build with him, and perhaps that was when he was doing the majority of his preaching. But I can just imagine somewhat that, that those people might have been like, I just want to collect my paycheck at the end of the week, and so hopefully I can endure this but not realizing the doom that was indeed coming. And then he goes from talking about Noah to talking about Lot. This is another situation where God tells Lot. And when we look at Lot in the Old Testament, we see him gradually descending into the cesspool of Sodom and Gomorrah. And at first we see that he chooses the plains overlooking Sodom and gives Abraham the desert, even though Abraham was told by God, everything here is yours. He gives Lot the choice. Lot chooses the plains overlooking Sodom, and he sets his tent toward Sodom. And then a little later it says he sets his tent in Sodom. And he actually met with the elders in the city gates, implication possibly being that he was even an elder there. But the time comes when Lot is told, get out of Sodom, we're, burnt, we're destroying it, but you and your family can escape. So he goes and talks to his sons-in-law, presumably he had daughters that were already married, and they scoffed at him, and so he left with two of his daughters, and got out of destruction and took his wife and his daughters with him. And then his wife, who was told not to look back, is like, don't look back. Don't think about your old life as you're pursuing your new life. And she looked back and she was turned into a pillar of salt. And so what Jesus is saying here is, when you make a commitment to follow me, don't look back. Remember what happened to Lot's wife when she did that. And so he's, he, he uses these two examples to show us um, what we can learn from history. I'm a big history buff, especially U.S. history. And I think that one of the, thing, the reasons that it's important is because we can definitely learn from the mistakes of the past to make a better future if we choose to do so. Many people do not. And so we find ourselves with the same problems today as there was 30, 60, 90, 100 years ago. Because we're still human, we're still sinners, and we're still trying to live this life often on our own, even though Jesus has offered his help and assistance, which will never leave. He said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. 
And I, I always think of this and remember God's economy too because not in this passage specifically, but in another passage, Jesus says, remember righteous Lot. Now, if I just read the Old Testament account of Lot, I would say he was the farthest thing from righteous. But if you saw the way I act at home around my family sometimes, you might say the same thing about me. Because I'm not perfect. I'm a flawed human being. But I'm a flawed human being who's been saved by the grace of God. And um, so, could we look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 5, and not, 5 to 9. This again references Noah and Lot, much as Jesus does here. But let's just see what it has to say. Second Peter 2, verses 5 to 9. If someone has that, they can read it for us. Spare not the old world, but save Noah, the eighth person, Preacher of righteousness, bring in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turn the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with an overflow, overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and deliver just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelleth among them. In seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their un unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the ungodly. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So this is, again, an outline that Peter is giving us of God's divine plan. And again, it kind of makes us sit up and wonder when we read about just Lot. Because this is the man who offered his daughters to the angel, or to the, to the men who wanted to um, be vile with the messengers that God sent to Lot. And he said, I have um, daughters that haven't been with a man. Take them and do what you like with them. Now, we know that the angels saved that from happening and struck those people blind. But that's this lot. This is the lot that fathered children with his daughters because they were in the cave and his daughters deceived him. And so he fathered his own grandchildren. This is that lot. Why? Lot wasn't just because he was blameless. He wasn't just because he was perfect. He was just because like Abraham, he believed God. Like Abraham, he ultimately believed God. As hard as it is for us to understand. So the next time you think that someone is, is beyond the grace of God, think about Lot. Because no one is. We need to keep praying for our loved ones that they would come to know God in a very real way. And so, 
as we look at these examples and we see Jesus digging into the history books, digging into the history books to show us examples. We realize that we too can learn from the past. And Jesus is leading up to our third and final point, which is is that as we think about the coming of the Lord, we all have a personal decision to make. In verse 33 of Luke 17, it says, Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together, the one taken, and the other left. Two men shall be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is thither, wheresoever the body is thither, will the eagles be gathered together. So, we're talking about a time when Jesus will come again. And according to the timeline we established earlier, we'll receive up the tribulation saints. And then the rest of the world will be judged. Peter says it this way, that the elements will be burned with fervent heat. You know, every once in a while you'll see a, an argument for global warming, or now they like to say climate change because that covers warming or cooling. But I remember one particular argument that was happening on a Facebook thread. And I, and I said, I believe in global warming. And at first, one of my friends who's also a believer was like, why would you say that? And I said, well, it's coming. And then I cited the passage from Peter where he says, the elements will melt with fervent heat. Some people say that that's allegory. But I think that when the Bible tells us about allegory, it says, this is light. But if the Bible says this will happen, then I have no reason to doubt that it will happen. As I've probably said before, if the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. That's the way I try to preach the Word of God. I I don't try to go looking for hidden revelations because I believe the Bible is very plain and that the best commentary on the Bible is indeed the Bible. And so, where does this leave us? Regardless of what your main eschatology comes down to personally, I think we can all agree that Jesus is coming back. And I think we can all agree, if we are redeemed, that we know that we need to be ready for Jesus to come back. And that we need to spend the time before he does 
helping other people be ready. As we sang earlier, and I thought a lot of the songs we sang were applicable, but Christ Returneth is one of my favorite songs. For someone who's not a believer, though it might be terrifying, because you don't know when Jesus is coming. But whether he comes today or whether he comes in a thousand more years, long after you've passed away, wouldn't you like to know that you know that you know that you're going to be with him at the end of days? My prayer for you is that you do, and that if you have not sought him yet, that you will Seek him now. The Bible says, seek him while he may be found. Because there's coming a day when he won't be found. So, right now we're in a day of grace. Some people mock us because they say, well, if he was really coming, wouldn't he have come by now? Where is he? Peter went through this. Maybe eventually I'll speak through Peter because there's a lot of good things in Peter's epistles. But one of the things he says was, Don't be worried if people scoff and say, where is the coming of the Lord? For he is patient to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, of course, he knows that not every one of us will, but he knows who the last person is to bow the knee before he comes. And when that person has, he'll come. The question is, Will you be ready? Will I be ready? I will be ready. My reservation is made, not because I'm so great, because I'm not, I fail. But Jesus never fails. And I'm hid with Christ in God because of a decision that I made long ago as a young boy. And I'm here to tell you that whether you're a young boy or an old man, you can still make that decision. It's not about what we can do. Remember the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross was nailed to a piece of wood, much like Jesus, except that he was guilty. He couldn't jump off the cross and ask Jesus to baptize him to make sure he got into heaven. He couldn't jump off the cross and lead Jesus into Jerusalem as his humble servant. He couldn't really evangelize the world, although he tried to evangelize his fellow thief, which is interesting. We sometimes think that we need a lot of training or know how to evangelize. No, all we need to know is how God changed our life. All we need to know is how God changed our life, because then we can show others how God can change theirs. And when we accept the free gift of salvation, He seals us with His Holy Spirit, a promise that He's coming back. He told His disciples when He left, I'm not leaving you comfortless, I'm leaving you the Holy Spirit, who will guide you into all truth, who will be with you, who will give you strength. Yes, 
continually, but also, I believe, at specific times. Like when Peter stood up after healing the lame man by Jesus' power. It says that he was filled with the Spirit and he spoke boldly. This man that had run like a scared rabbit when Jesus died. This man that had denied even knowing Jesus was now standing up and preaching righteousness and telling people that the only power that healed the lame man was the power of Jesus Christ. And then when he was whipped and thrown into jail for speaking that name, he didn't run in a coward. He said, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And he ran back to the other disciples, not to weep with fear, but to pray for boldness. May we be the same. And may we realize that Jesus isn't going to forget us. He's not going to forget his own. Someday the trumpet will sound. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will all be changed. There was an interesting discussion on Facebook this week. And it talked about how, well, one of, one of the guys who was not a Christian was contending that the verses that talked about hell were talking about total annihilation in the sense that he would cease to exist. So he didn't have anything to worry about other than ceasing to exist. And a brother in the Lord, who I do not know personally, but he proceeded to explain to him that we were all made to be eternal beings. The question is not whether we are eternal. The question is, where will our eternity be? And um, just as an example of that, I want to look at the... Book of Daniel, and I promise I will close with this. The book of Daniel, chapter 12. Um, verses 2 and 3. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. It amazes me that Daniel knew this in the Old Testament, that there was only two places, only two choices. We will all rise again. The question is, will you rise to eternal life or will you rise to eternal contempt? Both are eternal. Both are real. It's a question we need to ask ourselves. And I pray that you will make the right decision. Because you know what? Someday I'm going to get a new body. And I'm going to run. I probably won't be walking much because walking, I already have observed is overrated so I'll be doing a lot of running and leaping much like the lame man says he ran and leaped and praised God and I'm looking forward to the day when I will do the same thing let's close in prayer
Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we know that we have just scratched the surface of a very difficult passage of Scripture. But we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus' admonitions that we don't need to worry about being swayed by false messiahs, false Christs, that we don't find any encouragement or saving from a man, but that we find it in you. We read that you know your own and that that you are known by them. And we take great comfort in that promise. Now I just pray that you would make your face shine upon these people, that you go before them and give them peace. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.